episode 170 of the Bevan James Isle Show, an interview with Jess McGregor. Radio right, team, welcome along to episode 170 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the high behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I'm pretty excited today, actually. I've got an interview with someone I consider kind of a friend in my life, um, a lady by the name of Jess McGregor. She is. Jess McGregor, who, how do I describe Jess McGregor? Jess McGregor is one of the most funnest people I know. Uh, whenever I, I teach her at a gym, um, she's just got this lovely energy. She's always up for a laugh. Um, but she's also, she's one of those people who's a little bit unassuming because she's kind of light and full of lots of energy, but she's also an ultimate brainiac. And she spent a lot of time studying both sports science and nutrition and, and all these areas here. And her, her depth of knowledge is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and she's been recently, she's been doing some work around kids' nutrition. And I know on the show, I, I, I really tend to shy away from nutritional side of things. I tend to more focus on uh, the behavioral side of exercise. But, it, you know, kids' nutrition is pretty important topic and so I know that she's pretty passionate about it so I thought well I'll get Jess on because you know most of these people who are, most of you guys listen to the show have got some kind of you know contact with kids in your life uh, and so I just thought it'd be pretty cool to get her on so Jess is going to be on pretty soon in the main gist of today's show and uh, we'll probably talk about more than just kids nutrition because she's a fitness she's a fitness professional she's personal trained and she's a trained nutritionist um, you know she's yeah, she's got a lot of kind of strings to her bow, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of going to be coming up really soon. One thing, I, one thing I do want to talk about before I get into the interview with Jess, and this is kind of not so much fitness behavior, but more just kind of life stuff. And and probably this would sit under the category of relationship stuff. Um, I, was, I was having a session with a client the other day, and we were talking a little bit about... Um, sometimes in their life they can have disconnect with other people in their life and not disconnect as in like isolation disconnect and disconnect as in the understanding with communication uh you know i think a lot of us have this you know that if you've ever been in an argument with a partner and fundamentally you're kind of fighting about different things uh and it's that thing of you you know i don't know if if you have you heard this statement you just don't understand me you just don't understand me. You know, this is a statement I've, I've definitely heard in my time, uh, and I'm sure many of you have heard as well, and you've probably heard yourself saying it at a time as well. And we were just talking about this kind of, um, one way to help us when we're when we are communicating with other people. And I've done, I've done shows on communication. I'm a big believer in communication. I just think it's fundamental to better relationships I really do and if, if you want to do some good learning on communication anything by John Gottman's great uh, anything on motivational interviewing is great uh, just all, all these type you know there's some just really good techniques around communication but one thing that I've been thinking about recently uh, around communication because so one you know the kind of techniques that I'll tend to use is I tend to use uh, I have a technique again I would have talked about this in my podcast in the past but basically when I'm communicating with someone in a way where they're trying to express understanding. I, I always think to myself, okay, what are they trying to tell me right now? What, 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 what? A good way to think about this is, what do they need me to understand? You know, because when you think about communication, that's what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to get alignment of understanding. That's really what it is. And so, when I'm communicating with somebody in a way where I'm trying to help them, or I'm trying to guide them, or you know, maybe I'm just trying to connect with them at a deeper level, I really go to that place of what are they trying to help me understand? And then I kind of secondly, I go to this place of what's it like to be in their situation with this way. So let's say I don't know. Let's just pull off an example. Uh, Joe, my wife, comes home and she's had a stressful day at work. Now, she works at home with me, so I'm probably the reason to be stressful, but let's just say that's the situation. Uh, and she might just say, let's, let's just say she works with somebody and you know, she might say, oh, I've, I've, I just feel really stressed because my boss has been, um, you know, been at my case all day. So when that statement is made, the thing that we want to be doing within ourselves is we want to go, what does Joe want me to understand? And in this situation, it is that she's very stressed because she's had a lot of pressure on her. Okay, 
that's what she's trying to get me to understand. So good communication in, in, in behalf of the listener is to show understanding. So what I would do is I'd say, oh, so you're feeling really stressed because you know, your boss is on your case. Now that's that's really just saying back to Joe what she's expressed to me, but I could even go to a deeper level. So you could say, oh, so you feel like, you feel really frustrated and kind of tense inside because someone's been unfairly treating you today. So that's kind of taking it to the next level. Now a good communication, one, one little trick with good communication is, and this is what I've learned, is that when you show good reflective listening, people guide you. Because if you get it right, they'll go, yeah, yeah. And then what they'll do is they'll say yes and they'll continue on. When you get it wrong, they go, oh, no, 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 that's not it. So maybe in that situation with Joe where it's that whole thing of um, where I say, instead of saying, you know, your boss has been on your case and you've been stressed, I could have said something like, um, oh, so you just don't feel you've been listened to today. And she might go, oh, no, no, that's not it. And you find that's what, that's what I love about communication is that ultimately we're trying to guide each other to the understanding. And when you use good communication, what happens is that these people will guide you. They'll say yes when you got it right. And, and your job is to more just let them continue on. Uh, or B, they'll say no and you, your, guide is, your job is to kind of realign and try to get to understanding. Now that's kind of a base overview of, of some basic communication skills but but there's another layer to it that I've been thinking about recently as well particularly when we think about building good relationships in our life so good communication and good understanding is real good and the the important reason for good communication and understanding this is what John Gottman talks about a lot is it is when you show good communication and good understanding what that builds is trust because if I know that you understand me, I'm going to trust you. If I feel that you don't understand me, which goes back to that statement I said earlier, you just don't understand me. When we go to that, that's saying that, you, I, I, how can I trust you in a situation you don't even get me? So that's why communication is really important because good communication builds trust and alignment. But when we're looking at building good relationships, another good thing to start to think about is what are the other person's needs? What are the other person's needs in this situation? And and this actually is going back to what I was talking about with my client the other day, in that when they looked at their relationship, often the problems they'd have, and this wasn't huge problems in relationships, but there was just these little kind of discontent moments, um, often the problems they had was that they didn't really consider the other person's needs. And this was kind of both of them. They, they went in these different situations and they kind of weren't considerate of each other's needs. And so there was kind of this frustration that they would kind of have to deal with because, you know, you weren't really thinking about me. And and, and I often, it's kind of an ad, one thing that I've been starting to add to my life is as I'm communicating with somebody or as I'm interacting with somebody, I just really start to think to myself, hmm, what's this person's needs? What are, they, what are their needs from me in a situation? And with my client, one thing we actually did was, was really kind of, um, it was a tool we introduced, and it was really simple. It was just basically each day that with their partner, they're just going to sit down and it's going to say, okay, um, what's coming up? What are your needs in this situation? What are my needs in this situation? And then how do we work together that we get, so we can get an alignment that works together? So again, because it's kind of important, identify a situation, and this is definitely for a relationship, but then again, maybe you can do it with your kids. You know, if you've got teenage kids, let's be honest, teenage kids are pretty tough. And, I, you know, if you can go through this process, so again, the process is identify a moment, a situation, before the situation, just kind of clarify to each other, what are you going to be your needs going into this situation? And then, you know, both of you have a role, first of all, to share your needs, and then to understand the needs of the other person in that situation. And then what you're really trying to do is work together to actually come up with how you can best find that kind of midpoint or that point where both people are getting enough of their needs met. Now, this is really valuable for a couple of reasons in my mind. First of all, if you can get that, if you can both express and, and openly and clearly, then you can develop a wiser plan. Now, let's think of that teenager. Let's be honest, teenagers can be pretty tough work. And if you can develop a relationship where you're going out and, you know, they can be all mopey or that's that one syllable place, um, and you can kind of say, well, here's my needs in this situation. What are your needs in this situation? And and how do we work together to get this done? But then, the, so, so you can develop good strategies to help you aware of creating a better kind of equilibrium between both of you. But then, to me, the next aspect of it that's really important is 
you start to look at their experience in a kind of an empathetic way, where you're actually looking about how do I help them make sure they get their needs. And then they would be looking at your experience in the same way. And then after that, you could do some reflection and, and kind, of, kind of go, okay, where did we do well? What parts can we improve on? Uh, one thing I did with my clients is um, what they had to do in the reflection phase is they had to tell their partner the bits that they had done well. So, for example, I might say to Joe, here's where you've really looked after my needs in this situation. And then I, I have to tell her one way I think I had to improve. So I tell her her good, and then I tell her my improvement, and vice versa. So it might be, Joe, uh, you know, I really loved how you did this, this, and that, because it made me feel my needs. And looking at how I helped you with your needs, I th- think here's one thing I could probably be a little bit better at. So it's not pointing the finger at each other. It's kind of doing the reflection in a really powerful way. And I just think this is a really cool tool to add to your life, because I just think that when we start to you know, great communication creates great understanding, creates great trust. But then when we start to experience the world kind of thinking about other people's needs, like for example, this morning with one of our runners, they were having a tough run. There's someone who I know can sometimes be a bit mean to themselves. So as I went up to them, I could see they were having a tough run. And I thought to myself, what are their needs? Well, their needs right now was just a bit of love. So I actually pulled them aside, give me a bloody hug, you know, gave them a hug. And, um, and just said, okay, one thing I want you to do right now is I need you to find three reasons you should be proud of yourself about today's run. Because they were in that beat yourself up mode. What they need right now was a relief from that place to feel a bit better about themselves. That's what, what they needed. And by able to think about their needs, then I could actually deliver on those needs. And I just think when we can get a better alignment around these things, especially in the relationships in our life, because I often think that you know, I, I had a, I have friends of mine, and they've got um, kids, and, and it's life's tough when you're in it. Both working adults, both demanding jobs, you've got life pressures, mortgages, and all the rest of it, and you've got kids and all the rest of it. It's a hard life, man. It's a tough, tough life. And one of the downfalls of that life is the adults, the parents in these lives, can often feel that the other parent doesn't understand how hard their life is. So one of them's, I don't know, looking after the kids a lot and working, and then, you know, you know they, they, they work, that's a hard life. And the other one may be working more to bring more money in. And the, there's a misalignment because each of them feel that the other person doesn't understand what their life is like. Whereas if they were to get together and say, what are your needs in this life? What are your needs in here? And then how do I help you kind of align with this? It's a much healthier way to live a relationship. And so I suppose, you know, if you think about what I'm talking about today, and I'm going to kind of challenge you on this. I suppose what I want you to start to think about is, in the next week after you've listened to this, start to look at your world and look at the needs of the people in your world. Now, you can be do this as a self-assessment yourself, or you can just ask them. Like if we go back to that process, sit down, have a conversation. What are going to be your needs in this situation? Here's my needs. How are we going to work together to make this work? I kind of, I'll be really fascinated to see how you go. Maybe flip me an email if, you, if, you, if it goes really well, because I'd love to hear what you say. But I'm finding the more I do this, the more I kind of just think of what's this person's needs in the situation, the better, I'm, the better I am in their life. And if I'm better in their life, then I'm going to have a better relationship with them, which makes my life better. So I know that wasn't a fitness thing, but if I'm going to recap, you know, ultimately communication is about understanding, and great understanding builds trust. But if we take a step back from understanding and we think about how do we think about other people, if we can start to think about other people and understanding their needs, then we can align ourselves to be someone who helps to fulfill those needs. But also we can communicate with them to help us fulfill our needs. And if we can do that, then we develop those better relationships where we lose so much of the friction because you know they don't understand me or my needs aren't being filled. So just some stuff to think about there. Um, if you want to become a patron of my show, and I've got some amazing patrons, I want to say a big thank you to all my patrons, and I'm going to name a few of them right now because they're awesome, and when you become a patron of my show, you get a cool nickname, and it's life changing, <laughs> I have to say that, but if you do want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com, and on either, just go support me down the bottom of the page, or the podcast section, go support me, and you can just donate as little or as much as you want to each show, and when you do, you get a cool nickname, and today, I'm going to be naming a few people, Paula the Powerful Punisher Green, hey Paula, I haven't seen you in a while, I hope you're kicking butt, we've got Marion the Momentum Clat, we've got George the Wild Bill Baker, we've got Mary, I've got the Power, We've got Ginger the Governor Dave, 
Uh, we've got Phoebe, the Stark Standers, and we've got Michael, the Hammer Noak. These people all support me in my show. If you want to become a patron, just go to Bevan James Isles. It really does help me do what I am doing. Anyway, I'm going to put some music on. We've got an interview coming of Jess McGregor, a sports genius, basically. Uh, so yeah, I think you're going to get a load out of this. Okay, Tim, I'm pretty happy to have on the show, as I just did my introduction before, but Jess McGregor, she is... Now, you're a qualified sports scientist. Well, you got, you, you're one of these people who does too many degrees, so give me your whole <laughs> rep of qualifications. I love to learn, um, clearly. But um, I have an undergrad in sport and exercise science, and I have a postgraduate diploma in nutrition. So they're my two. And, and, and you've, um, you've, you've personally trained, you obviously work as a nutritionist with clients. Uh, just give us a bit of your yeah. career background. So I started at, well, I actually started in group fitness and studied, like, whilst I was doing group fitness, um, my sport and exercise science degree. Um, I finished that ARA. I started in Dunedin. I've kind of been everywhere. Um, and then... Uh, I, yeah, I didn't really use it. I actually went into sales at the gym. <laughs> and I remember you saying, what are you doing? I actually, <laughs> um, but I just couldn't figure out where I wanted to go with it because I had a really strong love for nutrition and I just didn't feel like I'd fulfilled that part of my learning journey. Um, so I did a little bit of a stint, obviously, studying, um, but I mean, I did a stint in the sales and then I did a stint in personal training so I could utilize my degree that way, just one-on-one with clients. And I found that quite good. Um, I guess to just the one-on-one side of things versus, I guess, training teams is you really get to connect to people on a different level and that empathetic way of, like, you know, learning how someone needs something and, um I guess I got to really connect on a deeper level with all people, not necessarily, I mean, I definitely trained them, but I found it much more interesting, that connective way that you get from stuff that you get from personal training. And when I was personal training, I found a lot of nutritional questions, sorry, excuse that, um, started coming up and I just didn't feel like I had, well, I hadn't based knowledge around nutrition and definitely sports nutrition, but I wanted to learn more. Mm. So I decided to go back and do more study in nutrition. And when I was studying, I fell pregnant. <laughs> so that I finished my degree with Bella in my tummy. And then I did a couple of, I guess I consulted for a little bit. And then I became a mum. And that became my, I guess, sole real purpose and yeah that's kind of what I did for a while and then now I'm back into it I started training and um, doing a lot of mums and bubs camps and supporting them in nutrition and I've definitely gone more into that side of things now being a mother just experiencing it yeah can I, can I, can I ask going back to just being a personal trainer you know because a lot of people yeah. will, will invest in personal trainers um, but what, when you think about you know the personal trainer's job is to provide knowledge, uh, motivation, uh, support, you know, accountability, all these types of things. When you look at the people who were successful and you worked with them, taking yourself out of the equation, what was the attitude that helped them be successful when you were personal training? I think the ability to take home certain behaviours that allowed them to help themselves I think the biggest uh, reward you can ever get as a personal trainer or when you train someone is when they learn to create that behavior themselves and they come along to just learn more and up their skills to be able to eventually take it home themselves. Mm. Uh, So the ones that were most successful or got results took on board what you were telling them. They didn't turn up necessarily. And there's no, absolutely no issue with turning up just to be told what to do like I totally get that I've done that with my husband before just being like just train me I don't want to think like mm. you know but um the ones that really did get their results took a huge responsibility to 
take on board what they were learning and apply it themselves and practice it themselves. And I also think it's the ones that have a deeper want for health and wellness opposed to not necessarily just what's on the outside. Mm. Um, they, they have like a more a, a need for overall health and well-being. I think that's a stronger drive and a stronger, um, definitely a stronger take to achieve their goals because it's more of an anchor towards everything that they need mm. um, rather than just a visual image that they've got in their head. Mm. Mm, yeah, it's really yeah, I, yeah, totally. I do agree with that. That whole idea of the six packs abs is the answer is not necessarily that much of a motivator in the long term. It's whereas that kind of my overall kind of health as a being. Yeah, and I think that when you when you um, aim for health and wellness, and I see this in a lot of clients, just they aim from the inside out, basically. Um, that outside look that they may have been ideally wanting as well, ends up happening anyway because body's functioning optimally. It's going to want to, you know, like I guess on a composition level, it's going to be more better optimally. Like you're going to have less fat, you're going to have better blood flow, you're going to have a higher metabolism, you're going to have more muscle. So everything kind of works out for the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you tell me, because well, we're, we're kind of going to get you on to talk about kids' nutrition and maybe some good advice around that, but um, I, I like speaking to fitness female professionals, um, and because, and especially ones like yourself who's just recently, who's gone through that kid experience, because there is, uh, it's a different experience for a female in the fitness industry than what it maybe is for a man. So can you just talk to me through what was it like to go through pregnancy and being a mother and, you know, the, the kind of body changes that happen as, through that time and emotionally and physically, how you deal with that and how you kind of get yourself back on track or, or, or just talk to me about that experience. It was definitely one of the, um, what is the word, something that I completely underestimated um, and I don't think anyone can prepare you for. Um, but I fell pregnant at a time that I probably wasn't, from really honest, I don't mean this. Uh, I know people struggle to get pregnant, so I mean this with utmost respect. When I say I fell pregnant at a time, I probably wasn't completely ready. Um, you might relate to that, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, parenthood anyway. But uh, so pregnancy was relatively um, straightforward for me. Clinically, I didn't have any real issues. I just struggled with severe reflux um, and ended up in hospital a couple of times. Um, but I was able to... Uh, exercise and continue teaching my classes, my body attack class, right through to about 36 weeks. And then, yeah, I, becoming a mum, giving birth, um, I had a pretty, I had a pretty hard um, first birth with Bella. Um, it was a three-day labour and then forceps delivery. Yeah, so it's highly dense. So a forceps delivery, in short, is when they use these um, medieval tonsils. I call them... Um, utent- medieval utensils to get the baby out. Yeah. Um, they're huge and they're very uh, traumatic to the pelvic floor um, and possibly a little bit mentally if you see the process. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so basically what it does is it um, draws the pelvic floor down and uh, we've got a lot of relaxing hormones and a lot of hormones that impact um, how our muscles work in pregnancy. So that on top of carrying a baby, on top of birthing, even naturally, um, is quite traumatic to the pelvic floor. And that is, I guess, your biggest fight back into the fitness world. Um, I was pretty lucky, to be honest, um, on the scheme of things. I was able to get back on a bike at 12 weeks and I had no prolapse. And I... um, a prolapse is when your pelvic floor pull comes down and um, your organs come down with it is the easiest way to explain it. Um, and that's very common. I think about 70% of women get it to some degree. Um, and 
yeah, postpartum and they're very unaware of it. So I um, went into a pelvic floor specialist because I had what I had, um, the birth, and yeah, I was fine. But typically, a uh, yeah, you'd be looking at a prolapse for often for a forceps delivery. Um, so yeah, twelve weeks in, I could exercise, but it was different. Um, giving, I guess, having it, you're looking after a child now. Um, and it's they're your main priority. I, I don't even think I even really cared to exercise as much because I was just so overwhelmed in my own motherhood and um, the hormones and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff was really, um, I guess, my main focus at the time. So, yeah, um, I gradually got back into it and then... I think I was able to do running at about, and they don't advise this, at about six months. But I was um, aware to constantly check myself, like get checked. I went back and saw a pelvic floor specialist before I went running. Um, but, yeah, so on the fitness scheme of things, I was pretty, pretty lucky. But it's not an easy road, and I probably made it sound a lot easier than it is. Um, but your body just doesn't feel the same. It still doesn't. I'm nearly what, I'm 15, 16 months post my second child and, you know, it's just different. It really, really is. And it's so the quicker you, like, you've got to go through those motions, but the quicker you get used to um, accepting that and just going with the new norm, the better off you'll be mentally and the better you'll approach your exercise. So, yeah. And so what, um, what does exercise represent in your life now? Because, like, you know, you've been, for those who don't know, Jess was a pretty elite tennis player in her time. Um, you know, you made a career in fitness. So, you know, like you've had periods of your life where kind of fitness is the only thing, whereas now, you know, career, you know, being a mother. What, what does fitness mean in your life now? It's definitely an outlet. Um, like when I had to – so post-birth, um, I ended up – um, getting quite a bad anxiety, um, postpartum anxiety, so uh, which is quite common in females. I particularly am quite sensitive to it anyway. It's stemmed in my life in certain times. So it's an outlet, but it's also, I guess, definitely part of my um, career still. I still want to be, I very much love the group fitness side of Les Mills, and I love being a part of boot camps with mums, and um, we have our own boot camp my husband and I, so I like to get involved in the movements there and I love to move my body. It's always been um, something, I've, like you said, I played tennis. I've never not really known to not move, hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it's definitely just part of who I am and it f- definitely keeps the anxiety down. It keeps makes me a better mum to keep moving. It obviously keeps me healthy. Um, it definitely connects to my food choices that I make as a whole. I think exercise really does play a fundamental part in your health, whether you've got goals for it or not. Mm, yeah. yeah sure. But the importance of it, def- I've got young children and, you know, they'll always come first. Um, some weeks I might only get out two days a week. Some weeks I might get out every day, but they um, – yeah, it, it's a much more of a juggle, so it's not always, I guess, practical. Yeah. yeah. So, so kids' nutrition, so what, what got you into kids' nutrition? And, and, like, I suppose where's a good place to start around the advice you'd start to give around kids? Okay, so I got into it. I obviously have a background in nutrition, and it got to the stage where I was starting to choose like what to feed my own children or Bella for starters. And I just found um, what was kind of generically advised. It didn't really make sense to me. So um, you, it's generically, I won't name organisations, but it's generically advised to give your child baby rice, for example, fortified baby rice. Um, And to me, giving my child a processed food for their first food was not what I thought was right. I thought nourishing, we're humans, we're designed to eat real foods, 
like the first actual food I put into my child's body. I want it to be raw, raw and real and a vet, you know, like a vegetable or a meat. So I delved further into it and I found this woman called Dr. Julie Basali and she had wrote, written a book um, called The Nourished Baby. And it's all evidence-based research on what we should basically be feeding our children. And it all made sense to me. Um, and it's all really, really when you cut it down and strip back the science, it's just quite a lot of common knowledge. Like when you think, you know, how do we nourish ourselves? We nourish them with high energy, uh, high nutrient dense foods. Um, what are those foods? Vegetables and stuff. So I got super interested in it because it's, they're our future, I guess. They're children's, Children are our future. They're going to keep the world turning. Um, there are so many diseases out there now prevalent in our world. Um, obese, you've seen obese or more overweight children than ever. And the more I stemmed or researched into it, I saw that it really starts in those first thousand days of exposure to food. Now, those first thousand days actually start in gestation in the in the in utero, um, and that's through exposure to what the mother eats when pregnant and then um, obviously the first foods that are given to the child in the first year of their life. So there's a really sensitive phase of exposure to um, our children's guts that can set them up or impair them for their life. Yeah. Um, and, and like studies are now really strongly showing that gut health equals longevity of life. So we really want to... And I personally, and I know that all mums do, um, want to set our children up, their stomach health, their foundation of their health for the rest of their life. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got into it. I studied a little bit more of it. I read research and then I connected with Dr. Julie um, probably about six to eight months ago when I felt like I had the mind space to, I guess, help other mums. Um because I'm aware it's not just what we're putting in our children. It's not that it's not actually that practical. Um, most mums are running on, especially in that first year of life, extreme sleep fatigue, hormonal imbalances, um, complete, I guess, identity change. You know that they've got a lot of pressures and a lot of stresses on them that a lot of people don't necessarily see, but behind those doors. It is really, really, really hard. And then you've got this extra pressure now to choose and put foods into your children with some mixed messages. Um, so you really, I guess my the reason I wanted to get into children's nutrition was to just help mums um, feel more confident about that and realise that we're all, you know, in this together and it's not as simple as that because you get, I guess, you get the bait through the baby phase and then you get the everyone gets the fussy toddlers doesn't matter how much you nourish your children and what you take away or don't allow them to have they just go through it. it's part of their cognitive development to become fussy you actually want that phase to happen um it's how you i guess manage that phase that is super important and i think that you know those foundations of those first three years of how we parent and um nourish our children is incredibly important for the rest of their life and studies have shown strongly that those I guess the way that their interactions and their environment food environments as a young child will impact how they eat as a teenager and as an adult and yeah it's I find I personally find it incredibly fascinating I also find the supporting the mother through it um incredibly you know, um, interesting as well because it's a case by case at the same time. So, so, so let's go look at the advice. So, you know, so you you, you mainly do focus on the first thousand days. Well, at the moment, um, with Dr. Julie, I would be yes, just first thousand days. Um, so the the first foods, the um, yeah, the first year of life, solids, starting solids is definitely my goal at the moment as I get myself more into this industry, yeah. Okay, so so let's just go back to the kind of before the baby's born. Uh, what's the general advice you you would give to a mother who's, you know, found out they're pregnant recently, 
uh, they are thinking about the you know that nutrients that they're going to be feeding through themselves into the baby. Um, what what kind of is the base advice you'd be giving around that? I would be saying supplement well um, with your iodine and iron if you've got lower levels. Um, they are going to help the cognitive development, but at, for as exposure to foods, I would say like increase in really healthy good fats especially plant fats um and more protein in the diet but avoiding like really i guess massive shifts in your insulin response so that's your um sugary foods and high um starchy carbohydrates a lot of them but it's not only just for the child it's actually to really protect the mother against um, gestational diabetes, which is becoming far more prevalent in pregnancies these days. You just see it everywhere. Um, and that's not only that, it's a lot to do with processed foods and how our hormones react to processed foods. Because, again, a processed food is, I like, realistically a food in the form that our body doesn't recognise. So it has to go through certain stresses to be able to absorb and metabolize it and that creates hormonal responses that are not necessarily ideal especially for a, a hormonally sensitive pregnant woman now it sounds super boring just eat your veggies and good fats and high protein but I guess if you want to give your child the, the best exposure I guess you'd ideally you'd be looking at 80 percent of your meals are really nourishing in that way and when you have your pregnancy, um, I guess, pregnancy cravings, you feed that because, you know, emotionally yeah. we need a little bit of that. But just mim really minimalizing that. And you'll actually find you, the more less you expose yourself to those foods, the less you actually crave them. And the more you nourish your body, the less it craves because a craving is generally a craving is a um, deficiency in a nutrient. Okay. Yeah. With, with, do you give ratios like so you say slightly more protein is there, do you guys sit around ratios like with your macros or do you look like you know like yeah I would say probably I don't I definitely wouldn't do it because it's the case everyone's kind of got their own but I would say about 10% more protein okay. definitely diet um, that would be just shifting down maybe some of the starchier though so your intake's not necessarily much bigger but yeah okay. yeah so portion wise I guess um maybe adding an egg a boiled egg or something to your meal or um if you've got a really clean clean protein powder especially if you're exercising through your pregnancy that you definitely have something like that post-workout yeah. um it might be that you have just an extra quarter of a meat, um, a piece of meat. So you might just have an extra 10 to 20 grams of meat, you know. Yeah, just little bits and pieces. A lot of people actually, without even intentionally doing it, eat enough because our portions, most people's portions are bigger than what we actually need. So okay. it works out fine. Yeah. Um, it's just the focus, so definitely would be more protein and high fat. Okay, and a healthy high fat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, so the, the general advice is kind of veggies, you know, uh, healthy fats, and a little bit more protein than normal. Um, yeah. So baby comes along. We, what do we go with, like feeding, and you know, what's the, and does this is this a progression of change? Like, is it change you talk about the first thousand days? Is it pretty much just a consistent thing throughout the thousand days, or are you is there a shift in what you're going to be giving them? So maybe where do you start once baby comes along? So when baby comes along, they um, will either be obviously breastfed or formula fed. Um, and in the, they have enough, so they get everything that they need in those first six months um, based on what you've, I guess, hopefully, know, they've hopefully got from being in utero. Um, uh, they have enough iron stores for the first six months of their life. And then at six months, it drastically depletes. So the biggest issue with ch our children is iron. Um, that's the number one thing. For mothers, um, if they are breastfeeding in particular, I would stick to 
um, a high good fat, high good protein diet, similar. It's quite a similar structure to what you would eat. Okay. You might have a slightly more bit of energy um, intake because you are using more energy breastfeeding. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is to um, listen to your body on that and just feed it when it's hungry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, leaving having snacks at night, you know, um, so a lot of mums will still fast overnight when they're feeding. But I think it's super important, especially because of their sensitivity to their hormones, that they have some nuts or some bliss balls or something like, you know, homemade bliss balls that have good fats and seeds and um, really nourishing nutrients in them by their bedside table at night if they're getting up to feed. Um, and, and so you're saying actually if you are waking up in the night to feed baby, it's actually you actually want to encourage. Okay. You should feed yourself. Um, you shouldn't be fasting if you're feeding. Uh, it's super, yeah. Just to help with your supply and your, yeah. Just well, also you know, to hear that because a lot of people would feel guilty about eating. You know, they think that, that's bad. You know. No. Yeah. No. Definitely. Yep. Overnight. Um. What? Just yeah. You they'll know because you're actually starving. It's just whether you can actually have the energy to go off and get it. So it's all about that preparation. Um. Lots of mums get really good at prepping the meals, but the snacks they can fall apart in a little bit. Yeah. But the snacks are only really needed overnight if they're eating. If they're feeding. Sorry. Okay. So yeah. Um. Till about six months, they're good. And then, so you've kind of set them up in utero. Then about six months, their iron stores really deplete drastically. And that's the reason that we actually start solids. So that message is not always passed through. Um, often people are told that they need solids because they're not, or to fill them up or to help them sleep and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually incredibly um, focused towards the iron depletion and iron is the one of the most fundamental nutrients for brain development and when about you know that's the biggest growth that you'll ever have in your brain development cognitive development is in those first couple of years of life triples so um the babies require 10 to 11 milligrams a day um that's more than an adult <laughs> and more than even a one-year-old to three-year-old so, yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. So, yeah, our breast milk only contains traces of, bre um, of iron, so that's where we get our solids. So, that, yeah, iron-rich foods is where you'd start shifting towards. Um, the first week would probably – you probably wouldn't introduce meat in your first week. Um, you would introduce like something like a pumpkin or a kumara, just a really simple vegetable. And then by the second week, you'd be, well, Dr. Julie and um, the us consultants would absolutely advise getting a meat or at least if you're, if you're a vegetarian and you're wanting to make your, or have your child be vegetarian, leafy greens, legumes, or, you know, just some really strong, iron-rich foods, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and so in that first period, that's really important because that transfer of iron that's came through from pregnancy started to disappear. You start to bring foods yep. in, and it's, a, it's really important in that moment to make sure that it's an iron-rich kind of diet as you're introducing the real foods into yep. your life. Okay. Super, super important. And, um, you know, that, that that's that you start filling it in with the really an incredibly good fats your plant fats um you get some good fats from your meats obviously um and yeah it starts filling everything else kind of starts filling it in yourself in itself um obviously vitamin c is really good to help with iron transport so as you start getting more confident with mixing your purees like often people will mix a vegetable with their meat in a puree um getting your vitamin vitamin C rich foods in there too, like capsicum even. Um, that might you might add that in a little bit later, but yeah. Because that helps to absorb the iron as you're putting that vitamin yes. C in. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um and okay, so and that's that's kind of as you're starting to introduce food. So what is anything else that would they need to know at that stage? I think um don't be afraid to I guess the most 
the most important thing that Dr. Jolie's really, um, I guess, big on is that, you know, iron, we get the iron in, but at the same time, through that first year of life, they're exposed to as many different foods as they can possible um, within, you know, vegetables and healthy, nourishing, real foods, um, with the one exception of grains, because grains don't help with their gut. They don't have an enzyme called amylase yet. Um, often it takes till about at least 10 months. Some kids are later. It can take up to two years for a child to develop amylase, which is an enzyme that breaks down the grain, basically, yeah, yeah, from yeah. the grain to what our body utilises it as. Um, and we are finding more and more people putting grains into uh, very immature babies, the guts that are very immature, um, and it does create damage, which then implicates their ability to absorb and then you know there's a real chain reaction effect when you start damaging the stomach um, as we see now in many um, lifestyle diseases autoimmune diseases you know later on in life um, so we want to protect that gut as much as we can because okay. it's and, our- and what stage do you start to introduce grains so around no earlier than 10 months but i think it's a real case by case um, but how would you figure that out? Well, their reaction to it. So they'll be okay. sensitive to it. They'll okay. get a sore stomach. Um, you're changing their nappies often, so you'll see it in their poo. Okay. Um, so if it's not processing yeah. and you're seeing it in their poo, then it's, they're not ready yet. Yeah. Okay. It's okay to see certain foods in the poo, but generally if you're seeing foods, they're not digesting it. Okay. So there's something along the line that's creating that inability to absorb it. Yeah. And the reason we're adding lots of different types of food is just to kind of broaden their kind of palate so they're getting used to a lot of variety of food and different nutritional Absolutely. sources. Yeah, so that sets the palate preferences up for life, but it also helps them categorize. So when they start hitting, the more they're exposed to, babies are innately um, born with this um, protective mechanism. I guess it's a survival thing where they won't often – I say this now, but Elena, my one-year-old, um, just drank some bubbles before, so she yeah. clearly doesn't have that protective mechanism. Yeah. Um, but they generally won't put or eat things that they don't understand or know um, yeah. once they start hitting toddlerhood. And um, they think it's because of, yeah, just a physiological kind of, risk kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the more you expose them to as a baby, because it's the easiest it's the easiest phase. Most babies, when they're hungry, will eat anything. Okay. Um, I say that, you know, there is the rule, there is an exception to the rule, but very, very small exception where a baby will, if they're hungry, take it in because they just don't have that part of the brain functioning yet to be like, oh, I don't know what this is, or I don't like that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't come until toddlerhood. And that is um, a mum's, I guess... <laughs> It's your opportunity, really, isn't it? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the more you give them, the more they see, the more you repeat, um, the more likely your fussy stage in toddlerhood will be Decreased. easier managed, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 For sure. Okay. So you get through that first kind of year. Then where do we start to go in that second year? So there's – um, Dr. Julie, I reference her a lot because she's done all the research for everyone, basically. Yeah. And um, what she's found um, in research is that there are early toddlers and late toddlers. Now, um, some children will start to present these toddlerhood tendencies a little bit earlier than others, and there's no, um, it's not relative to how smart they are or you know, like where they all end up in the same place cognitively, you'd hope, um, yeah. as long as the development pathways are put into place, but some develop earlier. So I had an early toddler, Bella, um, and it just starts to present in fussiness, um, aversions to food, uh, fighting back, just learn, starting to learn what we call boundaries. Um, and they start to realise that what they start to really get hypersensitive to what's in front of them. So 
um, and they start to categorise foods. So they see it as yellow, blue, um, hard, soft, funny texture, yep, nice texture, and, and it be, they become so sensitive to it that they, I guess, and they don't understand it, so they don't really want to put it in their mouth. So, yeah, for anywhere between, I guess, 15 months. They say it peaks between two and four years, but those early toddlers can come in and do it quite, quite early, um, especially if they're a real boundary pusher. So that's when parenting, um, your style of parenting really comes into it um, and that's where the marathon, I guess, starts because this battle with food is actually a very long-haul battle. It's not um, a small fix. It's all that when we talk motherhood, a lot of mothers talk about this short-term pain for long-term gain and the short-term might be a couple of years, but the long-term gain is really, you know, incredibly beneficial at the end of the day. And it's So, so, so. once they get, once they get through that first period, <clears throat> when they do kind of go into that early, uh, early kind of toddler or kind of toddler phase, so it's really kind of similar guidelines around what we're going to feed them. It's more just trying to keep them on that path. Oh, it's continuous exposure. Um, and it's not only to nourish them, but it's actually, yeah, just to get them understanding and knowing what foods are. So toddlers are incredibly inquisitive. They know far more than we let them off. So they're way smarter than we give them. Just because they aren't able to necessarily communicate, they know. Um, so... It's about communicating with them, explaining it as much and as messy and sometimes as impractical as it is, letting them sit up and cook with you or watch you cook, letting them hold, um, you know, the foods that you're making, explain it to them, talk to them. And yes, that requires a lot of time and patience and everything like that. So it's not probably going to happen every single meal. You know, in the morning when you're rushing out to get to school or doing that, you are going to possibly throw them toast every now and then. But it might be the weekends that you you work on that and exposing them to different foods. Like, very aware that the practicality of doing this is not always, Realistic. you know, yeah. able to be done. Yeah. 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 And some days you just don't want to battle, you know. <laughs> some days you're just like, here's your toast. It's fine. We'll start again tomorrow. But that intention to start and that explanation to be like, no, this toast is a treat. You're having it today, but to, you know, and just that constant open communication. Because at the end of the day, toddlers actually want boundaries. They yeah. want consistency. They want to know what's coming. Well, that's all kids, isn't it? Uh, um, and so. What about, you know, like, uh, you know, because what you're really promoting is this kind of uh, healthy options of food, real food, you know, all this good stuff. And then you're kind of saying it's the management of that experience with the child so they can learn to have this good relationship with food and all the rest of it moving forward into their life and setting up a good kind of pattern internally with their body. What about the exposure to things like sweets and stuff like that? Because let's be honest, all parents are going to give their kids sweets at times. Uh, how do you manage that? I think that it's a really, um, that's a really good question. It's hard. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, it's about communicating with them that it's not always like that. And I think that they ask um, when, before they have it, they know that it's not the norm. I think that, you know, minimalizing it as much as you can, but, still allowing it because of the social, you know, effect of it. But, yeah, definitely having those conversations and being making them aware that it is just a special occasion. I think it's just that, again, communication and that they know to ask and that they know that it's not the norm um, and that it's definitely not a staple part of their diet. Sugar should shouldn't be at really at all um it's effect yeah it's not ideal um we really want to be nourishing them it sounds boring and it sounds i know it's harder said than done because they're exposed to it all the time and processed foods all the time but the more that we can i guess try and guide them to make better decisions like bliss balls like um 
Bella loves bliss balls. She thinks they're the biggest treat ever. Little does she know that they're just a date and, you know, some seeds and good fats. But to her, they're super sweet because she doesn't have a whole lot of sugary foods. Yeah, so you've kind of set the standard at a certain level and it seems like a treat. Yeah, but at the same time, she'll she'll have a cake at a birthday and she'll have those chocolates and stuff. But, yeah, I think the biggest battle is lunch boxes. Um, she sees them at kindy and wonders okay. why she doesn't have certain things. So um, at the moment in my motherhood um, journey to try and, you know, with what I know and try and apply it to my child, it's that's a big battle. Um, and I'm not blaming other mums at all. Like mm. you don't know what you don't know. And at the end of the day, you think your toddler's having a treat. That's cool. But um, yeah, for, for Bella, her treats are like bliss balls. And yeah, that's basically it really. <laughs> bliss balls and nuts. <laughs> she thinks they're extreme. She gets pretty pumped on that. Living on the edge. <laughs> I know. Uh, just, just any other piece of advice before we kind of wrap things up? Any other piece of advice you give to parents around this? Um, well, first of all, I probably, like, listening to this, it may have overwhelmed us if a mum was listening. And I just want to say that you haven't broken your child. Um, and, you know, we're all battling. I battle a lot of the time with my two, and I you know, I'm in this industry, I'm a nutritionist, but start from the beginning. Um, if you've got a toddler, break it up. First of all, just read, uh, you know what, just read Dr. Julie's books. Have what, it. What, what's a good book to start with? So if you've got a toddler, I would go with The Nourished Toddler by Dr. Julie Basali. Um, it's a guide and it basically navigates feeding um, development and everything that happens in your toddler's life. So that's basically from one to five, ages one to five, and explains everything. So it gives you a guide how to to cope with it and understand it because when you understand it, you're more likely to be a little bit more tolerant of it because it is rough. Um, If you've got a new baby, um, the nourished baby is great. Guidelines of what research-backed guidelines of how to start your baby on solids. Um, But, yeah, to take home, if you're starting solids, just try and get iron as quickly as you can into your child in that, say, second week. Um, Liver's a great option, or if you're really wanting a high density um, or, you know, your red meats. Um, If you are battling with a toddler, I would say... The best option is actually to have one-on-one consults <laughs> because it's not as simple. But the simple structures that you can put into place, like routine with food every meal, um, boundaries, an authoritative approach to it. So not bullying, but you are the person laying the rules. Yeah. Um, and just continuous exposure. The more you can, you know, just because they didn't take it the first two or three times doesn't mean they're never going to take it. You've just got to find that number, unfortunately. So it would be And just keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. But you're all doing, like as mums, we're all doing our best. And I, I completely, you know, that's the biggest thing here is that we just want to support, like from a consultant's point of view, you just want to support them through it yeah. to help them. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. It's like all things. The more we educate ourselves, we, no one's perfect all the time. Yeah. Um, but the more we educate ourselves, the better choices we can make as an overall theme and it's going to be a great thing for your child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, think uh, if people want to use you or catch you or, or do they follow Jess? Where, where would they go? Um, I have an Instagram account that I sometimes use. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, it's Jessica and McGregor Nutrition. Okay. I'll Just all together, that. one yep. massive caption. Yeah. Um. And they can always message me on there. Yeah, that's probably the best place to get me, Okay, to be honest. So um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and I'll put a link to those books as well. Jess, thank you so much for your time today. It's such an important subject. I know you're pretty passionate about it. Uh, it's good to see you kind of just share that with the, the crew. So thank you very much for your time. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to chat and actually talk about it. <laughs> we, we don't, we're just going to catch up normally. We don't normally talk about baby nutrition. So, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> far from it. Right, mate, I'll catch, up, I'll catch up when I see you, but thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Bevan. Awesome, mate. Right, Tim, hopefully you got a lot from Jess. Um, yeah, there's just some really important messages in there. And, and let's be honest, looking after the kids' health and your own health, it's just, we can get those kids right. We can set up good habits for life. Pretty important stuff. So thanks, Jess, for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, just love your work, Jess. Team, I'm pretty much going to do a quick wrap-up here. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to Bevan James Isles. One thing I, actually, I'm going to do this again. I said I'd do this last time. I'm going to go to my little... Uh, podcast section here. I'm going to read out a a a review. So this is from um, just if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you could write a review. And this is by Bullion Co. Bevan is an inspiration with his podcast. His coaching team are supportive and run an excellent program. They must have done my running program uh, to enable you to achieve results that you never thought were capable of. Highly recommend uh, to take the time to listen. So these are people who are putting feedback on my show if you can put feedback on whatever podcast you're on i really appreciate it because it just helps to spread the word about the show also if you want to spread the word by emailing it to people by all means do that uh that's pretty much this week's show done and dusted i'll be back in a couple of weeks with a bit of a bevan show uh thank you for your time and keep being you